My friends, we are over halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working on this each week. And today we're going to work on one of those traditional practices that we started talking about last week. There are three traditional practices. One is giving, one is prayer, and one is fasting. So today we're going to talk about prayer. Would you pray with me and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So, what do you want out of prayer? I mean, what are, what are you hoping to, to get out of it? What's your hustle when it comes to prayer? I'm asking you, what, what's your motivation? Last week, when Jesus started this new section in the Sermon on the Mount, we went from that, tr- that, that transition from the teachings to the practices And one of the things that's really important to Jesus as we look at these practices is what's our motivation? What moves you towards these practices? He says it this way, Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have already received their reward But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So true to form, just like he has all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts in this place where he sees that things have turned off course from how they were intended. In the case of prayer, he he brings attention to the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Now, when he says this, he's not talking about preachers, right? We're not talking about what happens on a Sunday morning unless what happens on a Sunday morning is what was happening with the Pharisees. And so what would happen with them is they would get up and they'd say, dear God, I just want to thank you for allowing me to give a million dollars to the church this week and that, that you blessed my life so much that I could do so much for the church and for the people. And, and I just want to thank you that you have not made me like those other people that don't do anything for the church. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus was talking about. He says, that's, that's not prayer. That's not prayer. That's not what we're looking for. The hypocrites can do that because they... They get their recognition. They get recognized by others because they've just announced in a very holy way how important and how special they are. Every time I read this passage, my my mind flashes to a lot of those ill-fated homeowners association meetings or or really any meeting of any kind. If you've ever been to a meeting, I'm, I'm sure this has happened to you. Without fail, there is someone who has come to your meeting who cannot wait to hear the sound of their own voice. They may have waited all week for this moment, just just to hear their voice. Now, I am a person who likes meetings with dockets. I want a meeting with a docket because on a docket, on a really good one, there's a line right at the front that says, approve the docket. And I love that because now we all know what we're going to do. We've all approved it. These are the line items. This is what's going to happen. We're all on the same page. I can plan my life around it. I know what we're going to cover, and I know what time we're going to leave. So I am all about the docket. 
but it never fails. It never, ever fails that there is this one person, this one person who says nothing when it's time to approve the docket. Nothing. It's fine. They vote for it. And then, right at the end of the meeting, when everybody is absolutely exhausted, patience is threadbare, and you are about to adjourn, that is the moment that they have waited for. Because that's when they decide they are going to speak. And not only are they going to speak, but they are going to speak about the most random, most unexpected issue under the sun because they have waited all meeting to hear the sound of their own voice, and now you will get to hear that too. The distinction that Jesus is making, though, is that when you do that in times of prayer, that's an issue of righteousness. To pray, pretending that, that you are reaching out to God when you're actually reaching out for attention from the world, that's wrong. And Jesus warns us against that, so we have to ask ourselves, do we want to get glory? Is that what we're looking for when we pray? Or do we want to get God? Whose attention are you, are you seeking? And that's really important to wrestle with because your audience is going to have a great deal to do with your outcome. Because see, if, if your audience is the world, then congratulations to you because you've attracted their attention for all of 30 seconds before something bright and shinier comes along. And their attention is going to go elsewhere. But our God, our God is a God who sticks with us, who gets down in the weeds when things get really, really tough. And who does not walk away from us when something better comes along? So when you pray, really consider whose attention do you want? Something that's fleeting or something that's going to be with you eternally? Praying to God, seeking God is going to bring you peace and wholeness. Seeking the world is going to give you something temporary and leave you looking for something more. So when you pray, says Jesus, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So God already knows. God already knows. He's just waiting for you to ask. And so you don't have to ask in a very flowery way because God already knows what the end game is here. Now, notice that this is the second time that Jesus says, when you are praying. When. It's just like last week when he said, when you give, which means that giving and prayer are not ifs or maybes for Jesus, but Jesus is working on the knowledge that all who believe in God will give and they will pray in response to who God is in their life. Now, how does, that, how does that strike you? Have you ever thought about your prayer life that way? I, I would say that a lot of times, most of us see prayer as an if. You know, if we have a test, if we have a job interview, if, if we have to address something, solve something. But Jesus is saying it's a when. It's a when. 
He wants us to be ready for those moments. And I think a lot of folks panic when it comes to the when of prayer, especially if they're going to have to do it in a public setting. For every person who loves to hear themselves speak, there are others who spend their days going, please don't let me have to pray in public. Please, please don't let me have to say a word of the Lord out in public ever, ever. And if you want to see this play out, here's how you do it. Any Sunday, any Sunday you want, any time of year, right after church, you need to make your way into a restaurant. You can pick any restaurant in Manatee County. You can pick any restaurant in the United States, for that matter. And here's how this works. If you sit there long enough, eventually you're going to see a group of churchgoers, right? Churchgoers, they're going to come in and they're going to sit down at a table very close to you. And they will place their order, and while they are waiting, this is what they are going to do. You can only do this on Sunday afternoons. It has to be right after church. While they are waiting, they will sit there and they will critique their pastor's sermon. <laughs> makes you wonder where Sung and I are after church, doesn't it? <laughs> they will critique their pastor's sermon. They will talk about the church's coffee, and they will discuss the length of the final hymn. Then... These very righteous individuals who have had an immense theological vocabulary and the ability to critique the pastor's sermon, then the food comes and there's this awkward moment when they're all trying to figure out if they have to pray at all because, oh, what a sticky situation. We have just loudly discussed our church and our pastor and now the food is here, so everybody in the whole restaurant already knows that we're church people. So yikes, we've backed ourselves into a corner and somebody's going to have to pray. Somebody's going to have to do it. So they all start looking at each other. And they have determined that if they're going to have to pray, one of them is going to have to take the fall for the whole team. So now it's a question of who is going to do it. And usually it's the oldest person at the table unless the oldest person is too old and it might take too long. So then you just kind of move down the, the row. Well, then you get to that person who has been the appointed one. And there is this look of panic on their eyes. And they start scanning the restaurant. I personally think they're desperately looking for the pastor that they've just critiqued to see if that person is there to come save them in their hour of need. And when they discover that that's not going to happen, usually it goes this way. They, they close their eyes, right? Like it's a very serious closing of the eyes. And they start making their wishes, I mean their prayers, um, about the food. And they start using all these key words like delicious and flavorful and aromatic. You've never heard French fries described in such amazing detail as these prayers when they're praying over them. And then they throw in something about their company, usually how beautiful the ladies looked in their Sunday finest. And then they close it out with something like this. And dear God, please be with us this afternoon as we recover from church this morning. Amen. You know, prayer just doesn't have to be that complicated. Everybody has gotten this idea in their head that you must have a full-blown theological degree to pray. Breaking news for you. We don't have proof that Jesus graduated from high school, and yet he prayed. 
Because God's not interested in your vocabulary. He's really not. He's interested in your heart. So he says when you pray, you should pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us to a time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. See, this is just like Jesus, typical Jesus. It's not that he's just going to say, this is how you not go about prayer. Instead, he says to us, this is what prayer should look like. And the Lord's prayer is indeed a perfect prayer, but not when it becomes a rote prayer. You know what I mean by that? When it becomes something on your checklist that you do to get on to something else that you want to do better, so you just recite it, kind of like taking your medicine, you just, you just do it, and you don't think about it anymore. And, and when you don't think about it anymore, that's when the Lord's Prayer loses the power that Jesus gave to us. So the way to avoid the Lord's Prayer becoming something that you simply recite without passion is to look at how this particular prayer sets us up for all of our other prayers. It sets us up for action. So when you pray, you start from that place of thinking about who it is that you're praying to. Start by proclaiming God and the good news. So when you pray, figure out who you're addressing. What kind of qualities and attributes does that one have for you? What has that one done in ages past that you can lift up and celebrate? What are the reasons that you have to believe that this, this one that you are praying to is listening to you now? That's relationship. That's relationship. So when you pray, you're talking about a relationship. When you call up somebody that you love, you don't whip out all of your doctoral level vocabulary to talk with them. They would be like, who are you? What do you want? So why would you talk to Jesus that way? Why would you do that in the relationship that is closest to your heart and to your life? Why all of a sudden would you change into some university professor to speak to Jesus when that's not who you are in your day-to-day life? See, this relationship is important because this is the relationship that is built on trust. I mean, can you really pray, thy kingdom come, if you don't trust God? If you don't trust him, do you really want his kingdom to come? Think about when you were little and you started uh, jumping into the pool, right? And usually mom and dad, somebody's there trying to catch you. You don't just jump for random people. You jump into the arms of people that you trust. It takes a level of trust to be able to pray beyond yourself and beyond your own strengths and desires. The kingdom that we pray to come in the Lord's Prayer takes into account all of the things that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you remember, there were some really difficult really, really hard things that we had to face up to in the sermon so far. And many of those things are phenomenally challenging, even for those of us that are deeply rooted in the faith. 
So to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's not something that you want to gloss over lightly when it comes up each week. I mean, you really want to think about what you're asking for here. It's really worthy of your time to, to really think about what comes out of your mouth. Here again, these are not fancy, decorative words. These are words that have serious implications and are based on a significant level of trust. There was a pastor named Helmut Teleki. He preached in, in the church in Stuttgart, Germany, in the declining days of Germany's reign of terror. And when he was preaching in the background, there were screaming sirens and underground bomb shelters, and fear surrounded the whole congregation. When Reverend Teleki started the sermon series on this very text, his congregation was still worshiping in the church of the Hospitallers. The series ended in the parish house because that venerable church had been bombed to the ground. And yet, for all of the chaos and despair, so imagine that your life has been bombed to the ground. Teleki wrote, the Lord's Prayer was able to contain it all. There was not a single question that could not have been brought to it, and not one question that was not suddenly transformed if it were put into the form of prayer. So for a congregation desperate, for valid comfort, able to stand up to the world where the furies of hell had been unleashed on them, the gospel contained in the Lord's Prayer became that very comfort. If you want to understand the gospel outside of John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the Lord's Prayer is the place to get it. In what we ask of God in the Lord's Prayer, we are seeking a sustaining comfort, even in times of trial. In asking for our daily bread, what we're asking the Lord for is to provide for us day by day. We're not asking for tomorrow, we're asking for today because today comes with its own stuff and tomorrow will come with its own stuff. So I want you to notice the movement of this prayer. We have gone from praying about the galaxies to groceries, from the eternal to daily. And we ask for forgiveness with the same amount of frequency as we ask for our daily bread. Have you ever thought about that? We ask for our daily bread. So the idea is every day we ask God to provide for us. Same way, same prayer, we're asking to be forgiven every single day. Every single day we get up and we do it again. Why? Why? Because if you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at all the stuff that we've studied this entire spring, what we discover is that there's not one of us that's going to get it perfect all day, every day. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So we need that renewed forgiveness the same way that we need renewed sustenance to live every single day. And we pray for that forgiveness from the giver of grace. But Jesus reminds us of something really important. When he got to the end of the prayer, notice that he highlighted one part of it that he thought was necessary for further explanation. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Of all the things that Jesus could have highlighted in this prayer, he highlights forgiveness. 
one of the hardest concepts for so many of us to receive, not just for others, but for ourselves. Which is why the Lord's Prayer is so much more than just a daily prayer, just something that you do in passing. It is a reminder to us that every day, every day we get to start again. And every day we have the opportunity to forgive and be forgiven the same way that we pray every day for enough food to make it until tomorrow. So Jesus gives us this for today. When you pray, check your motivation, decide who you're praying to. That's going to help you determine the where and the when and the why of your prayer life. And in those times when you find yourselves praying out loud or on your own and you're seeking to get those words, all you need to do is go from galaxies to groceries, from faith to forgiveness. Let's pray together. Holy God, we confess that there's a lot of times that we say the Lord's Prayer, we don't think twice about it. In fact, sometimes the only time we think about prayer is when we're the one who got stuck saying it out in public. Change our hearts. Make prayer an important part of our relationship with you, a relationship that is built on trust. Help us to forgive others as, in fact, we, we have been forgiven. Lord, help us to grow. In your name we pray. Amen.